Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders of our church. If this is your first time with us, we are really glad you're here. Thanks for coming to visit with us. Last weekend, I was at the, the public pool with my four older children. And I told them that at four o'clock, they would have to get out of the water and dry off so that we could go home. And I reminded them of this a few times through the afternoon. And would you believe what happened at four o'clock? I went around the pool and found each one and I told them it was four o'clock and it was time to get out of the pool. And one by one, they swam right to the closest ladder or pool stairs and they got out of the pool. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm just encouraged by what God's doing. There, there wasn't a single complaint. Nobody took the long route to a far off ladder. Nobody dove underwater and pretended they couldn't hear me. Nobody argued with me over the definition of four o'clock or what does it mean to get out of the pool. They all did exactly as I had requested, and it was amazing. And I, I praise God for my children and for the, the people of God they are growing into. I could tell lots of other stories about how they are sinners who struggle to obey, and I could tell you lots of stories about how I'm a sinner who struggles to obey. Without the death of Jesus Christ and without the, the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit, this obedience at the pool could not have taken place. But it's amazing what happened as a result of their blameless and immediate obedience. I felt so much closer to them, and I think they felt close to me. We had a super fun time walking back to our car from the pool. We were goofing around, taking our time, pushing each other a little bit, telling some jokes. And I felt like I could trust them more, which made me feel closer to them. So that night, I gave them a few more privileges than usual, a little more freedom, some increased respect. Their obedience bore real fruit in our relationship. Now, if this is the case in our relationships between parent and child, between person and person, imagine how it might also work in our relationship with the Lord. Would you like to feel closer to God? Would you like to enjoy more of his presence and the pleasure of his goodwill? Wouldn't it be worth it to have in God the dad you always wanted? A dad who is just fun to be with, who is present and interested in your life. Who understands your discouragements and your dreams, who lets you in on his life as well. This kind of intimacy happens only by grace. God must take the first step and have mercy on us. And then when we respond with appropriate obedience, the intimacy only deepens. This morning we'll see this play out as we race to the end of the book of Exodus. We've been going through this book as a church, this morning I will cover five chapters, beginning with Exodus 35. If you have a church Bible, we're on page 49, but uh, 
I'll, we'll also have up on the screen the, the scripture that I read this morning. We've already covered much of this material in great detail. In chapters 25 through 31, God spent seven chapters giving instructions for how his tent was to be built. And we taught through those instructions chapter by chapter. And now in this this five-chapter section, most of that material is repeated as the narrative describes the people actually building God's tent. So rather than going through all the details again, I'll blitz through it this morning. I'll highlight some of the differences, but mostly I want you to see how complete the people's obedience is to what God had instructed. When God empowers his people with the glory of his grace and truth, his redeemed new covenant people do everything just as God commands. So we'll see three things on your outline. First, we'll take a look at what Yahweh commands. And then second, what they do. And I'll give some concluding reflections on the new covenant the new creation. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Father in heaven, please strengthen us for your service. Motivate us and empower us by your grace that we would be uh, children of yours who draw near in faithful obedience to your will and your commands. Lord, this is what you have called us to and all through Exodus We've been seeing this main idea from the the question that Pharaoh asked in chapter 5. Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? Help us to see you more clearly today through the person of Jesus Christ that we might obey your voice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's take a look at what Yahweh commands. God has shown Moses his glory at the beginning of chapter 34. He's revealed himself full of grace and truth. Moses came down from the mountain with his face shining, reflecting God's glory. The people had broken the first covenant by worshiping a golden statue of a bull, but God has repaired that completely by extending mercy and reconciling them to himself. And now it's time for them to move forward with the plans to build a place for God to dwell. That's where we pick up in Exodus 35. Let me read the first 19 verses. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver and bronze blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine-twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, 
its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. So, what Yahweh commands, the first thing he commands is work and rest. God has commanded them to work on this tent. We see this in verses 1 through 3. In verse 2, he told them once a week they are to rest from the work that they are to do. Failing to rest is a capital offense for them. And then in verse 3, interestingly, he mentions to them not kindling any fire in their own dwellings on the Sabbath. Only God's authorized fire is to burn on that special day. And this is interesting because that, this first instruction God gives them to these newly reconciled people of God in their second covenant with Moses, that is the very first thing that they will break. The next time we are told of any sin, of any law breaking, the first thing recorded after this comes in Leviticus 10 when the priests bring unauthorized fire. So God commands them, for now, he commands them to work and rest. And second, he commands them to contribute in verses 4 through 9 of what I read. They are to contribute the materials to build the tent. And surely these are the same resources they received freely when they plundered the Egyptians when they were brought out of slavery and some of the same materials they had used to fashion the bull statue. And they are to bring those materials back to build God's tent. And you can notice the focus in verse 5, where he says, Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. God doesn't just want their possessions. He wants their hearts. It has always been so. And so he commands them to contribute. And then third, he commands them to craft in verses 10 through 19. Once they have all the materials, the skilled craftsmen are to create the tent structure and the furniture for inside of it and the furniture for outside of it and the yard, the fence around it, and then garments for the priests. So through Moses, God commands these three things to work and rest, to contribute, And to craft. That's what Yahweh commands. So what do they do about it? Our second point, what do they do? The text goes on in these next few chapters to tell us not only that the people obeyed these three commands, but it tells us that they really, 
really, really, really obeyed. And seriously, this could not be any more in your face. Let me show you. Exodus 35, we pick up at verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. The first thing we see here in 20 and 21 is that they work. He commanded them to work, so they work. Verse 20, they depart to go get all their stuff. And verse 21, they return. Everyone whose spirit moved him, bringing the stuff. So they do the work that God commanded. And second, they contribute. They contribute. Verses 21 through 29 goes on to list all the things that they contribute for the work. It picks up on the list that I already read from earlier in the chapter. But it expands on it such that, you know, not only the first list said for them to bring gold, but not only do they bring gold, but in verse 22, they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And the conclusion of this paragraph in verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose Heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done. Brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So these people, they did it. They, they, they worked to bring the stuff and then they contribute all this stuff. They get busy obeying God's commands to contribute. So much so that the craftsmen get overwhelmed. In chapter 36, verse 3, they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. And said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Can you imagine that? They were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So they not only obey in contributing, but they obey so incredibly that they have to be told to stop. They have to be restrained. They work. They contribute. And then the third thing is they craft. The third thing God commanded. And uh, from uh, tw- chapter 25, verse 30 to to verse 2 of chapter 36, that narrates the calling of particular craftsmen who were skilled and appointed by God and given his spirit for this task. And then from 36.3 all the way to chapter 39, verse 31, we get a narrative of the actual building, the the crafting of the tent. Now, I'm not going to read to you all of those chapters. 
But I want to point out a few things that take place here. First, we can note that the order of things here is different from when God gave the the plans back in chapters 25 through 31. When God gave the instructions to describe the tent, he started all the way on the inside and he worked his way out. Uh, as he as he gave them the instructions. Now in chapters 36 through 39, it makes sense that they would actually build it logically, the way you would actually go to build this thing. They start with the physical tent structure, the frames, the bars, the hooks, then they lay the curtains over it, and they build that tent. Then they build the furniture that will go in the inside, and then they build the furniture that goes in the outside, and then they put up the fence around the yard, And then finally, they craft the garments for the priests so that the priests can come in. But it goes detail by detail by detail, and the sheer amount of detail overwhelms us with how completely they obeyed to make all of these things. And so the the first thing I wanted to point out is that the order is a little different to just show that they did it, and they did it the way that made the most sense to them so they could get it just right. But the second thing we should notice is that the the repetition of the text here is almost verbatim to the instructions. <clears throat> chapter after chapter, it goes on and on and on, the, with the only difference Almost the only difference being that the pronouns are changed from you shall do this to he did it. But other than that, let me give you an example. We'll start with the Ark of the Covenant, since that's where God started his instructions in chapter 25. If you're following along in your Bible, you can slide your fingers into chapters 25 and 37. We're going to flip back and forth, but I'll put it up here for you as well. So in 25, when God started Giving the instructions in verse 10, he said, They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. We go to chapter 37, verse 1, where they build it. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Back to the instructions. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. Back to when he built it, and he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. Back to the instructions. In 25 verse 12, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And then when he builds it, And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side, and two rings on its other side. I could go on like this for four chapters. It keeps going on like this. Sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph, unit after unit. Perfect obedience. Everything was built precisely as God had ordered it to be built. And the narrator draws out that fact for these four chapters just to make that point. And as though verbatim repetition of them building it precisely as God had placed his order, if that isn't clear enough for you, we need to also look 
at how this, this whole section climaxes, how it comes to an end. The, the last things that are crafted are the priest's garments. And as the narrator builds to a peak, as they weave these garments and make all the things for the priest, the, the, the narrator throws in an important little phrase and he repeats it seven times. Right at the end in this last chapter, chapter 39. And perhaps it's connected to the fact that God, when he gave the instructions, he gave them in a series of seven speeches in 25 through 31. So now this narrator repeats this important phrase seven times. Let me show you. In chapter 39, verse 1, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 5, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 7, it ends with, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 21, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 26, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 29, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 31, and they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above, as the Lord had commanded Moses. I'm beating a drum here. I read that seven times because the narrator beats this drum. Earlier I asked the question, what did the people do? And the unequivocal answer after reading this chapter is they did everything Yahweh commanded. They did everything exactly as the Lord commanded Moses. They work, they contribute, and they craft as the Lord had commanded Moses. How does this apply to us? Friends, the Christian life is a life of obedience to the commands of God, especially when it comes to God's dwelling place. In Romans 1, verse 5, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that he was given God's grace and he was appointed to be an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith. This is what God is after with his good news, as he makes a people for himself, with the good news about Jesus Christ, is the obedience of faith. Christianity is a religion of unbelievable grace and mercy. We have a God who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he did that so he could be close to us, and so we would draw near to him as obedient children. Grace God's mercy is not about getting off the hook so you can goof around in any old way. Grace does not empower you to lie or cheat or steal or commit adultery. Grace empowers you to become a new person, indwelt by God's Spirit, walking in newness of life. Let me give one example. Because of God's grace, we can say that you are not a terrible person if you sin, if you struggle with sin, if you're fighting with different things. You're not a terrible person. But 
At the same time, because of God's grace, we can unequivocally say that certain things are against God's will and you should stop doing it. So, maybe you're here and you're a compulsive liar. Okay, you're not a terrible person. Um, If you trust in Christ, Jesus died for you. We're glad you're here. We want to come alongside you and help you so that you can speak truth to others. Maybe you struggle with yelling at people and you get mad. We're here to help. Yelling is not okay. Maybe you, you, you are same-sex attracted and you struggle with that. You're not a terrible person. We're so glad you're here. We want to walk with you through it and to help you grow in Christ. But we can say from God's, God's word that heter, uh, pardon me, homosexual behavior is against God's will. We love one another, and heterosexual sinners are not better people than homosexual sinners. But that doesn't mean that we turn God's clear words into something entirely different, whatever your struggle is. Whether it be any other form of lust, or adultery, or greed, or false false gods, worshiping false gods. The Christian life is one of obedience to the commands of God. Now consider how we serve God today in his new tabernacle. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that your body, my body, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So the new tabernacle of God, the new dwelling place of God is is you. It's your person. God wants the tabernacle of your heart and body to be exactly what he commands. Just like they built it with every detail just right. God wants you to get this just right. Yes, this also means he can use you exactly as you are with all your strengths and weaknesses. You obey God when you serve him heart and soul thinking pure thoughts and speaking kind words and listening to one another and setting aside immorality and giving generously to the church and to missions, you are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 gives us some direction. You, your body, you are the temple of God. But that's not it. Because 1 Peter 2 tells us that our church community is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That not only you as an individual, but but you as a people, we as a body, are also the dwelling place of God. So we can apply this passage that way as well. Today in our place, God wants the tabernacle of Grace Fellowship Church to be exactly what he commands. He wants us to work, to to work and rest, to contribute, to craft this thing, just like he says. And so you obey God when you serve him in the church, as a part of the church. We have opportunities here for whatever sort of service would most encourage you and would play to your strengths, where you can make your greatest contribution. We need people to help take care of the property. We need people to help take care of the children. We need people to help disciple other people in the church. We need people to help us serve those in need in the church and in the community. We need people to help lead worship. We need people to reach their neighbors and shine the light of Christ in the community. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you. And when you do that, you are crafting God's tabernacle exactly as the Lord had said. 
All of these things are commended to us by this long section of Exodus. But there is one last thing before I conclude. With the tabernacle, God shows us his intention to make all things new. He shows us his intention to bring about a completely new creation. There's a new covenant going on here and a new creation. Remember how we got to this section of Exodus. The people had severed their treaty with God, their covenant, when they worshipped the golden bull calf. And God moved out of their camp. He was ready to be done with them. But Moses became the mediator they needed at just the right time. And the breaking of that first covenant led God to establish a new covenant with them. A new covenant where a human mediator would play a greater, more glorious role. And this new covenant brought a new revelation of who God is. That he was not not only the God of power behind their exodus from Egypt, their rescue from slavery, but also the God of mercy, the God who cares and redeems for his people, the God who has mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy on, the God who has compassion on whomever he wants to have compassion on, the God whose glory consists in this unique combination of grace and truth, a combination found nowhere else and in no other God. And so this new covenant with these newly obedient people is a big deal. And the building of the tabernacle represents this new covenant that they have entered with God. It's almost like God is starting over. He's making all things new. And so we get a summary paragraph of all the work that they did at the end of chapter 39. Listen, listen to what this has to say. Starting in verses 32 and 33. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, and it's all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. And then it lists all the pieces again. You get a list of every piece. And then one final summary and evaluation in verses 42 and 43. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. And so we get more repetition of how they obeyed God's commands. But there's something else we get here that we need to pick up on. We ought to get some verbal connections in here that take us back to an earlier part of the Bible, the early part of Genesis, the first part of the first book of the Bible where God creates the heavens and the earth. In Exodus 39, 32, it said, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. Funny, that sounds a lot like Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens... And the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And in Exodus 39, verse 33, we were told that they brought the tabernacle to Moses and all its pieces, which sounds a lot like Genesis 2:19, where it says that out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man 
to see what he would call them. Exodus 39 verse 43 said, And Moses saw all the work. In Genesis 1, 31, we're told that God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And then the last word we get, the last phrase in chapter Exodus 39, verse 43, was, Then Moses blessed them. You can see it right in verse 43. Then Moses blessed them. Which is a lot like Genesis 1:28, And God blessed the people he had made. Blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Do you see the connections? If it were just one, maybe even two, we might think it was a coincidence. But the fact that the narrator keeps throwing these verbal connections in this paragraph back to Genesis 1 and 2. The narrator wants us to see this construction of the tabernacle the same way that we saw the creation of the heavens and the earth in chapter 1 and 2. The narrator wants us to see this new covenant obedience as a new creation. God is starting over again with his new people in his new garden paradise, fresh with a tree of life. They have an artificial tree of life. It's a lampstand, but it looks like an almond tree meant to connect with the tree of life. And it's got angelic guardians uh, woven into, embroidered into the curtains and the screens. And this sounds an ominous note because you know and I know that if this is a new creation, it probably won't take long for there to be a new fall into sin. And we'll get only as far as Leviticus chapter 10 before we see that the perfect obedience of these people doesn't stay perfect forever. And this makes us long for the fully new creation, the, the real new creation, the, 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 the last new covenant brought about by Jesus Christ. The one who would die for sins he didn't commit so that he could live with people he couldn't stay away from. The construction of the tabernacle and the complete obedience of the contributors and the craftsmen, it all shows us the glory of Jesus. The one who would come from heaven to earth and be himself the true tabernacle. Not only are you each tabernacles, and we as a group are a tabernacle, but Jesus is the true tabernacle. He said of his body, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. John 2. Jesus is the point of contact between God and people. Jesus is the light of the world and the bread of life and the river of living water. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the sweet aroma of the incense of God's glory. And he is the, the, the cloud, the exact representation of the glory of God among humanity. All these things in the tabernacle, every one of them points to Jesus Christ. Will you join me in worshiping this God in his true tabernacle? Jesus Christ. We can only come to him through Jesus. And that's how we become tabernacles. And that's how we all become a tabernacle. Will you help to bring Jesus' new covenant, his new creation to our community? Would you like to see him make all things new? Not just in your own life, but also in all the earth? Let us serve and obey this God together. And do everything just 
as the Lord commanded us through Jesus Christ. When God empowers his people with the glory of his grace and truth, his redeemed new covenant people do everything just as God commands. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the Lord. You are the God of heaven and earth. You made all things. You have made us to be your people. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to obey. Please empower us by your grace and mercy that we might walk in your commands, that we might love one another and the world might know that we are your disciples. Help us that we might lay down our lives, that we would have no other gods before you, that we would be people of purity and not not impurity or adultery, that we would be people of truth and not people of falsehood, that we would be people who look out for one another and care for those made in your image and who don't speak words of hatred and we don't steal and we don't destroy. Help us to honor you, to walk with you. Help us, Lord, please, to obey all that you have commanded, especially that we would have faith in Jesus Christ and we would trust in him to do these things and work in us that we would become more according to his image. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.